Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening. The one thing we both have in common is muddy boots. Q&A time has come around again and we have a heap of questions this week. From seed sowing to hedge planting to balcony gardening, passion fruit planting and more. One question comes from a listener who is concerned about the health of her 100-year-old Currajong tree. That's an unusual one. Let's hope Keith can put her concern to rest. And before we start, if one of those questions is yours, don't forget to listen out for your name at the end of the podcast, as you might just be the winner of a fabulous prize from The Plant Runner. So without further ado, here is question number one. This is from Katie, who, like me, has recently moved into a new home with a new garden and is full of great ideas, but would like some reassurance from Keith. Katie says... We live in the scenic rim in Queensland and are planning to plant some mock orange hedges along our back fence line. We're going to dig up the hedge bed in the coming weeks and would like to know what we should prep the beds with. We don't have any of our own compost to use yet and are unsure of the type of soil we'll be dealing with. Is this a good time to plant them and can you give us any tips on how to help them thrive? Absolutely. Hi, Katie. Um, Look, you must have access to a big green warehouse somewhere. So I suggest you purchase some bags of compost and the brand that I would suggest you look for is Scott's brand called Osmocote Compost. It's available in 25 litre bags uh, for about $9.98. Not about, exactly. And I'd work about half a bag into the soil profile at a minimum depth of about 200 mil. And then once you've you, once planted mulch to a depth of 75 mil with some sort of nice organic matter over the top of that, uh, just ensure that you're keeping uh, soil away from the trunks of the trees. You don't want what's called cholerot. And I also suggest that you feed, feed the plants on a monthly basis with either a liquid fertiliser, and you could use something like Charlie Carp or Power Feed, or a pelletised fertiliser with something like Gigantic. And the springtime is the best time to be planting, and that ensures that all plants are, are, are well irrigated, you know, particularly if the weather's going to be drying out, just make sure you get to get plenty of irriga- irrigation onto them. And the scenic rim is a beautiful part of Queensland. Oh, the world of Australia and the world. <laughs> now, a little while after sending through that question, Katie had another idea. Like I mentioned above, we were planning on hedging our back fence with mock orange. So there you go, Keith. That was a waste of time. <laughs> Just because I knew it was, a good, it was good for our area as mum and dad have it in their garden. Yeah. I've always loved camellias but thought they wouldn't grow. However, I was just listening to both your hedge and camellias episode and I'm now thinking they might be fine. I would love to have them along the back area with jasmine growing down the side fence. The area is quite exposed and in full sun. Does Keith think they will be okay? We have an old Queenslander home and I would love to have things like camellias, lavender and jasmine, etc. We dug out our beds yesterday and it is beautiful soil. Well, that's great news. Great news. Um, look, the, the, the only camellias that are going to tolerate the full sun are going to be the Sasanqua varieties. They have a smaller leaf, um, and the leaf is rather sclerotic, which is rather thick and hard, and they're probably going to tolerate 
um, hot, dry conditions a lot more than just about anything else. So that as long as you've, you've, you've prepared the soil, you've got lots of goodness mixed into that, even though the soil might look fantastic, do do use the, the you know the the compost and mix that in because the plants will really thrive with in those sorts of conditions um, as far as the the uh, jasmine that's not a problem either as long as you, you've got um, plenty of moisture just keep that up to it so it'll be fine great and as, you know as far as lavender goes don't see a problem with lavender. the lavender but I would suggest that you have a look at the Mediterranean forms of of, of uh, lavender rather than the English form. So have a look for Lavendula stoches, which is the, the Italian lavender or the Spanish lavender. Uh, and there's a whole range of those now that have been hybridised and they've got some of the cutest little pineapple heads that you'll come across in various colours. How do you spell stoches? S-T-O-E-C-H-Y-S. Okay, Katie has one more question. She's been a very busy girl. <laughs> she is. We have existing hedges that were planted by the previous owner that are getting quite big. They have new growth, some of which is covered in black sooty stuff. We want to tidy up and mulch this garden bed and feed and trim the hedge if we are supposed to. We just have no idea what to feed it with and how much we should trim it. Now, Katie, sorry, before you start, Keith, no. uh, Katie has sent through some photos of the hedge mm -hmm. and so... Can you work out what that is, Keith? Yeah, the, the black sooty mould is a result of other problems. So if you have a good look at um, on the underneath side of the leaves, Katie, you're looking for a little tiny uh, oval-shaped black thing, um, and it's called scale. And the scale is sucking the sugars out of the leaves, and it sucks out more than it needs, so what happens is that on the back of their little, their little black bodies is a sugary substance. Now, something that loves sugar for their part of their life is ants. So the ants come up the trees, crawl over the top of the, the little black scale. They get sugar on their feet while they're, while they're sucking it and putting it into their gobs to take back. And then they track that, that sugar over the bark all the way down the trunk back down towards their nests. And then what happens then is that sugary substance becomes another problem and it becomes mould. So black sooty mould will then grow on where that, that sugar substance has been left. So you've got, you've got problem with ants, you've got problem with mould, and you've got problem with scale. Oh. So, <laughs> so you've got three problems there. So the, the easiest solution is to mix up some eco oil and spray the underneath sides of the leaves and the oil will, will coat the, the, um, the scale and, stop, and that will stop the scale from being able to breathe and, of course, it'll kill it. And once you get rid of the scale, you get rid of the sugar, you get rid of the ants, you get rid of the black mould. Simple. Beautiful, happy plants left again. Okay, now we have Simone who has two questions. Question number one. I have inherited a beautiful and quite large Daphne bush, which smells divine right now. It's starting to get a bit leggy, but I'm too scared to touch it, as I've heard they can be quite temperamental. So far, I've given it an annual compost, and that's all. What else do I need to do to take care of it, but not to kill it? Well, you're lucky to have a beautiful big Daphne, because mm. it's someone's planted that, and their love and care and everything else has gone into it. Daphne's can get long and leggy, uh, but you can cut them back by about a third. You do this after flowering. So wait until it's flowered, then cut it back. And cut it back as close as you can to a node. 
um, which presents itself as a, a little lump or a little leaf or something else on the side of the plant. And what you're doing is trying to cut that nice and neat so that you're within about a couple of mil of that node because you want that to seal itself over so disease can't get in. So after it's finished flowering, reduce it by reduce all the thick growth by about a third uh, and wait until the new growth starts to come and then give it a light liquid feed of something like Charlie Carp every month. Fantastic. Question number two from Simone. I started sowing a few seeds in my greenhouse and was wondering, one, when I should pot them up, and two, when I should change the growing medium from seed raising mix to something else. I feel my seedlings stay at the seed leaf stage for ages. Yeah. Okay, so there's, you've got a couple of things happening here. I, I no longer bother to grow seeds in seed raising mix. I plant them straight into a quality potting mix and I use Scott's premium potting mix. And to give you an idea, we planted, um, we, well, we, we created um, 150 pots with um, premium potting mix in it and the cameraman and managed to put two, three, four seeds in each particular pot and every single one germinated. So we had a 100% germination rate and that was done, That we got that germination rate so good because we used the moon calendar in, and picked the high growth period to do all this planting. Um, so we just, I, we just sow straight the seeds straight into a premium potting mix um, and then just let it, let it all happen. And what happens with, with, with a seed-raising mix is the seed-raising mix is very, very open and it allows quick penetration of the root system to get down. But seed-raising mix does not contain a lot of goodness. So it run, those seedlings run out of tucker before they run out of anything else. So hence, use the premium potting mix. Um, and you and you does the, the same job pretty much. It does. It does yeah, a much yeah, better job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but it's got to be that premium mix. Yeah, yes. Not any cheap stuff. With the Australian standards tick. Yep. Um, and then, as I said, you need to invest in a moon calendar. Uh, and if you follow the, the format on this, you'll have quick germination. You'll have quick growth. And I've never had failures from any poor you know, of, of poor growing patterns using this particular method. Have a look at www dot moongardeningcalendar.com and they cost fifteen dollars and they'll be the best purchase you'll ever make for your garden and i'm looking at one on the fridge over there in elizabeth's house here Absolutely. where we're doing all this recording it's sitting Absolutely. there Couldn't and um, i'm sure you've used all, yours all the time well if i had a garden if you had a garden when we'll, i have a garden we'll get a garden I will. soon <laughs> i will i will i will and by the way the cameraman is keith's lovely wife leslie Keith mentioned, mentioned the cameraman. Some people may not know what the hell he's talking the about. The cameraman. <laughs> I don't know why he calls it the camera. Anyway, the next question is from another Kate. Mm -hmm. I have a wonderful 100-year-plus Currajong tree in my front yard. For the last six months, it has been rapidly rotting from one side. I have treated it for a fungal disease or rot, as this is what I was told it was, but it doesn't seem to have made a dot of difference. I am desperate to save the tree as it is one of three in a line and my entire garden is designed around these trees. I would love any advice you may have. Now, Kate also has sent us through a picture for Keith to examine. Go, mm. Keith. What's okay. the problem? Well, I don't, think, I don't believe it's a rot and I don't believe it's a fun, fungal disease. It's, um, it just doesn't add up to me. It's an, it, it, Karajong is, is, is an Australian native. It's a brachychitin. Um, so, we, and there's lots of varieties of, of, of Karajong, so 
but it's it's a it's a a thick bark around the base, and I would say that that there is. A, um, an insect has got in there because when I had a look at that that photograph, you have a you have a close up of, of the photograph. You can actually see holes. So a, a beetle has drilled through that, um, you know, and to lay more eggs. So I would suggest that you remove all the crumbling bark back to where it, it is sound, and you use just a spatula or something else just to scrape it all back. And the other thing I notice is, is that underneath that bark, I can see the cambium layer, which is the green layer, and that is the most important part of that particular plant. So if you've got anything getting into the cambium layer then you've got a problem but this isn't the bark bark's just like a a thick overcoat that you know that that covers the tree it doesn't do anything of any real use except protect it from animals that might brush up against it or whatever so i don't believe that um that this is a rot or a fungus and it's obviously not because you've tried both of the the you know the the methods to solve that and it hasn't hasn't worked so Scrape it all back and just keep an eye out for uh, any any infestations and use something like Econeem. Drench it and drench the soil down below it with Econeem and that will stop th- that problem. Great advice. Now, Catherine is next and her question is, what would Keith recommend we plant on a narrow west-facing ground floor apartment bal- balcony in inner Melbourne? The area is approximately 4.6 by 2 metres. It's built on a concrete slab approximately 1 metre off ground level, so weight should not be an issue, but we would prefer to keep it as lightweight as possible. We're wanting to create some privacy to the height of about 1 to 1.5 metres and a green outlook. Okay, so you, things are going to be obviously grown in pots, I would say, because it's on a concrete slab. So you've got a couple of choices here. You could go for... Um, um, a climber, such as the Tracheosperm and Jasminoides, and that will give you a beautiful dark green um, screen that's got a beautiful perfume and lovely, lovely flowers and foliage. Um, but if you don't want to go to that sort of trouble um, by putting up a, a, a mesh screen of something for it to climb on, um, then I would look at something like Choisia tenata, which is the Mexican orange blossom. That will get to that, that sort of height that you want. And that also has a beautiful flower. Um, or you could try something a little bit different, um, something like a, like a baby bay. So there's one, there's a, 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 a bay tree called Loris nobilis, and there's a variety called baby bay, which gives you a beautiful dark green foliage, white flowers. It's nice and dense. Uh, that'll get to a, you know, that, that sort of height that you're wanting there. Or if you want to go for a contrasting foliage, and if maybe you could you put could plant one of, of each, you could go for an, an olive. So there's a, a dwarf olive called uh, Mediterranean midget. So you could have a baby bay and then a Mediterranean midget, and, and carry that theme all the way along along that that particular space. And those things will grow really really well in that in that sort of a condition. That sounds very pretty. That'd be lovely. Okay, Kate. Another Kate, she's a very popular name this week. Um, Kate says, I have a question regarding my passion fruit plants that were planted in March this year. They are in free-draining soil in a north-facing aspect and have been fertilised and mulched, but they're being eaten, they're discoloured and they're not growing. I've previously had two other passion fruit plants that have both died. Any suggestions, please, Keith? Um, this is a timing issue. You, passion fruit, uh, they're a warm climate climber. Okay, so they go into winter dormancy 
um, where they, they're growing nearly, nearly nothing. And the only way that you can have them growing during a winter period is where you've got a heat attractive you know, a heat attraction of some sort. So if you've got a brick wall that's facing, um, you know, in the northern aspect or something or something that's going to pick up radiated heat and, and transfer that down to the root system, these plants will go into winter dormancy. Now I've got one on the southern side of fence at, at my place and it's not growing at all this time of the year. Some of the older leaves are yellowing off, which is a natural, natural thing. But if you're getting them chewed, I would suggest that you have a look um, for... Earwigs, they'll be, the, they'll be the little culprits that drill little holes through the actual leaf rather than chewing around the outside that you'll get with caterpillars and snails and slugs. Earwigs will go and chew little holes through like a crumpet, basically on a, on a leaf. So if you've got mulch close up around the bark, pull the mulch back and have a little look and just see if, if, you, if you notice that you've got creepy crawly earwigs down in, there, down in there. And the other thing you might want to look for, because this year has, has proven that there's enormous amounts of slaters around this year. Now, slaters normally are, are not a problem. They're, they just chew the, the, the decaying matter down and create a, a compost. But when they, in incredible infestations they'll actually go and start attacking green material as well yeah. um now i've had a client contact me this week to say this is the problem they've got they've got millions of slaters what would you, you suggest and you can make a little trap um but one of the uh, and that is some somewhere for them to get into so a rolled up newspaper but before you roll it up stick in some peelings of bananas or potatoes, wet it all down, roll it up and stick it where they are and they'll crawl in there during the daylight, just wrap the whole, pick the whole thing up, put it in a plastic bag and bin it. The other alternative you can use is using a product called Eco Shield, which is also from uh, OCP, Organic Crop Protectants, and it is for snails, slugs and slaters. And if you put that out, that will also... Uh, kill the kill the slaters. So it's like a it's like a snail bait basically, but it is it is a high metal content, which is what these little critters um, eat and kills. So that's um, something that I'd suggest you have a little look at. Our last question for this week is from Sophie. Hi, Keith and Elizabeth. Firstly, I just wanted to say how much I love your podcast. I enjoy listening while I garden and get so many helpful insights and ideas to try. That's lovely. That's lovely. Thank you, Thank Sophie. You. <laughs> I live in the far west of New South Wales and am building a new garden from scratch. The site is exposed, has views to the south and west and has red sandy loam soils, but the pH is alkaline, 8 to 9 across the site. I've been recommended by an agronomist to apply sulphur prior to planting. We have rainwater in good years, but in dry years we will only have limited bore water. And she says that's 900 ppm. I had to look that up because I don't know what that is. <laughs> ppm, I now know, is parts per million, per million. Yeah. for those who don't know. My question is, says... Sophie. My question is, we are putting in an outdoor shower on the western side of the backyard to catch those beautiful sunsets. What plants would you suggest to create an oasis feel in this garden room? All right. So this is, this is a really open-ended question because I don't know enough about the, you know, the climactic conditions that you're living in. Um, now, go back to the agronomist. The agronomist is correct. 
you'll need to keep uh, a regular check on the pH because if you're applying uh, sulfur, which is flowers of sulfur, um, this needs to be done on a regular basis. So don't just put it in once and think that you've done the job. You need to keep on checking your pH on a yearly basis. Um, now, I cannot recommend enough the use of adding soil amendments for your soil. So for soil moisture um, retention, you can use compost, biochar and mycogold, which is uh, the, the fungal spores that um, will attach themselves to the root system and deep mine minerals and moisture. So that's something you can do. And that's a one-off. That's a one-off. You only applied the mycogold one <laughs> once and it's available from BioStim, B-I-O-S-T-I-M. Tim Lester is the chap there that um, I've dealt with for many, 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 many years and he'll, he'll look after you that. So as I said, without knowing more details about your climate conditions, I would be having a guess about what types of plants would be suitable, suitable for your area. Um, so one of the first questions is, for instance, can you grow citrus trees there? Can you grow lemons and you know oranges and those sorts of things? Because that tells me that if you can do those, grow those sorts of things, then you know we're opening up the palette of plants we can actually use. So an oasis of uh, um, an oasis to me is using tropical plants. So you could use lots of things like palms and things that, that will contrast quite nicely up there. But you want to be going for um, plants with an understory planting, so things are going to be contrasting leaf shapes and, and, and foliages. And then of course the the size of the area that we're talking about is also of, of great consideration too. And I don't know enough about that. For instance. Uh, in the past, I've used a plant called the Argentine Ombu, and that is O-M-B-U. I'm not going to give you the, the botanical name because it'll take me too long to pronounce it. It's huge. So Google Argentine Ombu, and this is used where size is not a problem. But if you can imagine the most incredible um, tree with root buttresses and all these that create this incredible environment around it with huge leaves and the leaves are, are bigger than magnolia leaves if, if you know if you know what a magnolia is huge big shiny leaves on on the plant with beautiful buttress roots underneath it it can get very large and it can it, but it's a very very quick grower and it will grow in an incredible amounts of different situations it's just stunning and underneath that you can plant um, things like non-invasive bamboo which is called tiger grass and then you can mix that up with a plant called the rice paper plant. So you're creating all these beautiful foliages. Then you can underplant that with clivias, arthropodiums, and ornamental grasses. You know, so there's enormous amounts of, of things that you can do to create there. But um, if you want any more help, I need a lot more information to uh, give you what sort of an oasis that you need. That's all. So some more questions might be coming your might way, be I coming, think, from, for sure. uh, from Sophie. So we look forward to those. And that <laughs> sounds like – give her a good start, though. That sounds good. Okay, we have sadly come to the end of another great Q&A session. Thank you, everyone, for your great questions. And thank you, Keith, Pleasure. for answering them so well. Now for the winner of this month's prize from The Plant Runner. This one goes to Simone with that beautiful big Daphne bush. <laughs> good on you. So we'll be in contact with you shortly, Simone, and we hope your Daphne bush absolutely thrives now that you've had that – answer from Keith. Thank you as always to the team at The Plant Runner for the fantastic monthly Q&A prize. Make sure to visit theplantrunner.com Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au and happy gardening.